Well, good morning, Jordan Valley Church. My name is Wes Holmes, one of the pastors here, and it's truly a delight and privilege to be worshiping with you all this morning. Our God is so good to us. We have just finished our series through the book of Exodus, and so now we're into something new. We're actually taking a little uh, a series um, break in some sense, going through uh, considering our church's landmarks on our journey to know Christ. And for those who aren't familiar, landmarks are really just JVC lingo uh, for the guides that help us in our walk with the Lord, uh, help us along the way on our journey together. And so our landmarks here are worshiping, praying, sharing, and discipling. So in this series, we especially want to encourage our members uh, to take seriously the vows that they made to support the church in its worship and work. But remember, even as we talk about these things, our motive and strength come from God's grace, not guilt or shame. Jesus has redeemed us from all of our sin and guilt. And so it doesn't have any power over us anymore. We can live in the freedom of God's children and seek to pursue uh, the, the landmarks that he has given us in our journey toward our heavenly home. So this morning we're going to consider the landmark of discipling. And Ephesians 4 is one of my favorite passages on the topic. And so let's give our ear uh, to the reading of God's word from Ephesians 4. We'll start in verse 1 uh, through verse 16. And this is the word of the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Sends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Oh Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that opens our hearts and minds to who you are and all that you've done for us in Christ. And we ask, oh Lord, that you would meet us now this morning that you would lift us up to yourself, that you would show us 
who you are and change us from the inside out. So thank you, God, for your word. We pray your spirit would accompany it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I recently re-watched one of my favorite childhood movies, The Sandlot. And in the opening sequence, the narrator, Scotty Smalls, begins the story, quote, of the greatest summer of my life, when Benny Rodriguez taught me how to play baseball. He became my best friend, and he got me out of the biggest pickle I'd ever be in. Now, this movie is great for a lot of reasons, but I think what I appreciate most is how Benny, the Jet Rodriguez, befriends Scotty Smalls. And so for those who haven't seen Sandlot, you should. Um, But Scotty Smalls is the new kid in the neighborhood. He moved in from out of state, and he's the kind of kid who's great in school, but not great at making friends. Uh, One day, Smalls actually gets up the courage to head out to a rundown baseball field down the road where Benny and the other boys are playing ball. He wears a really silly-looking hat. He knows nothing about baseball, and he can't catch or throw a ball to save his life. You're killing me, Smalls. The kids make fun of him, and they just kind of write him off. But Benny doesn't give up on him. He gives Smalls his glove and his hat and a few pointers like, hey, you have a fireplace, right? Throw your old hat in it. The next day, Benny purposely hits him a ball that he can catch just by holding his glove in the air. (laughs) And he catches it, and then Benny teaches him to throw it. And slowly, with that, he's accepted by the other guys and kind of brought on to the team. Well, the story unfolds as Scotty Smalls learns more about baseball, Babe Ruth, and the Beast. And even when he gets himself into a pickle with a stolen baseball, his friends stick with him. And they do everything that they can to help him out of it. Well, what does all this have to do with Ephesians 4? (laughs) We're focusing on our discipling landmark. And discipling has everything to do with relationships. And as the body of Christ, it's not baseball that unites us. It's not Babe Ruth, the legend who has gone before us. It's not even about just making friends with the neighborhood kids. Discipling is rooted in the reality of God and the work of his Holy Spirit. It's founded on the love of God in Jesus Christ. Discipling is really the big picture mission that every Christian gets to participate in. The mission of God that extends from eternity past in the heart and mind of God into eternity that is yet to come. And so as we look at Ephesians 4 this morning, there's three main themes that will guide us. First, unity, and then truth, and then ministry. Unity, truth, and ministry. And the first two themes really serve as a foundation for the third, and we'll see that as we go through. But the point of the sermon this morning is this. God's church is built on relationships. And relationships are hard, but they're worth it. God's church is built on relationships, and relationships are hard, but they're worth it. And so let's take a look at our first theme, unity. The Apostle Paul starts this section of his letter uh, to the Ephesians, calling them to live their lives in a way that's consistent with the gospel that they believed. Now, the gospel is really what he spent the whole first half of the book unpacking. 
And in that first half, he tells them about how the gospel is the truth that we are chosen in Christ from eternity past and now called to belong to God. He tells us that we are saved from our sin by grace, through faith, and it's all a free gift of God. He tells us that this gospel has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit so that we might be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul's exhortation here to walk in a manner worthy of our calling really comes on the heels of these world-altering truths about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And the exhortation does take a specific shape. It's a call to unity. How are we to live? Verses 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Really, before we begin to answer the question of how are we to make disciples, we need to ask the question of who. Who is God calling to make disciples of Jesus? What are the kind of people that do that? And the answer is, a people united in Christ people united in Christ. We're called to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, the text says. So the reality is we already have a unity in Jesus, but we express that unity, as this text says, in the bond of peace, namely, love. We love one another. But that's where the rub is, right? We struggle to love one another. We sin against each other. We would rather that someone serve us than we serve someone else. We say and do things that rub people the wrong way. If you haven't felt snubbed by me yet, we haven't, just haven't spent enough time together. But unity is a hard thing for us. And that's why we have to start with God. See, Paul reminds the Ephesians that their unity is ultimately from God. They are one body united by one spirit, called to one hope and one Lord, one faith and one baptism. These all come from God, who is the one Father over us all. So our unity, friends, is grounded in our restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In Christ, you and I are reconciled to God. Our sin no longer separates us from Him. We're forgiven, a redeemed people, who call on the same Lord Jesus and are so united by that faith in Him. Together we are the body of Christ, and He is the head. He's even given us unity in the sign and seal of baptism that we all have received when we come into this body. At the end of the day, it's the love of God for us that is the foundation of our unity, not the other way around. But also, our unity is not a uniformity. We're not all called to be the same. And that's good news. Um, it says in verse 7 here, right? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The beauty of Christian unity is that we are one body, but with many members, diverse members. So have no doubt, if you are a member here of this body, God has given you a special measure of his grace to do something that you are uniquely fit to do. But what does that look like? 
Well, first and foremost, it looks like pursuing unity with love. It looks like humility and gentleness and patience. It looks like Jesus, who laid his life down so that we could have a relationship with God and with each other forever. And you may not know this specific outworking yet, but if your attitude is love, you'll find out soon enough. And one more note on unity. Jesus taught his disciples in John 17 that their unity, their togetherness, their oneness would be a testimony to the world that the Father sent him and that God loves us just as he loves his only begotten Son. So Christian, that's the love that God has for you. He loves you as his own child. And that's the same love he has for your fellow believer. Even the one it's hard for you to get along with. Our unity is rooted in a restored relationship with God and through the perfect love of Jesus. But we can only really know that and understand that relationship restoring love when we're exposed to the truth of the gospel. And so that's our second theme, truth. Our passage in Ephesians 4 reveals the importance of both love and truth. And we are, as verse 15 says, to be speaking the truth in love. So clearly, right, love and truth go hand in hand. You can't really have one without the other. Let's say, for example, your friend confronts you one day with some way that you've sinned against them. They come straight to you with a raised voice and tell you that you've sinned. And they've explained every detail of how exactly you did it, all the ways you've wronged them, calling you to repent of your misdeeds, seek God's forgiveness and theirs. How do you think that's going to turn out? It might not go over so well. <laughs> it may be properly true, but it's done harshly and without love. But on the other hand, let's say you've sinned against your friend, but you never actually realized it because they didn't want to bring it up. They didn't want to hurt you. You know, they were just wanting to love you. But secretly, the friend is growing more and more angry and bitter toward you, and your friendship slowly begins to die. They were trying to love without the truth, and it doesn't work. <laughs> when you study how Jesus loved people, you learn that he was filled with compassion, gentleness. And at the same time, he spoke the hard truths that people needed to hear. So in Jesus, ultimately, love and truth come together in one person who is love himself, who is truth incarnate in the flesh. So if we're going to talk about discipling, it becomes clear that love and truth have to be our guide. But how do we get to the truth? God's Word. It's the Bible, right? Our passage speaks of growing to attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We're to grow into maturity so that we're no longer children tossed around by the winds of false doctrine and worldly philosophy, human cunning, and deceitful schemes. But how do we grow and mature in Christ? Sounds like we need an anchor. 
because winds are blowing and waves are crashing. So we need the Bible, that firm anchor in God's truth, not just to know facts about Christianity or to pass a theology exam. We study God's word to pursue a living, growing relationship with God himself. And any relationship, as you know, needs to be built on the truth. If I tell my wife that I love her, but I don't really know anything about her, what am I loving? A figment of my imagination. Likewise, if we're called to a relationship with Christ, we need to know him in truth. And as we've said, knowing Christ is more than just knowing about him. But it's certainly not less. It's like knowing your close friend is more than just knowing a list of his attributes. You have a relationship with a person. But what about you? Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? If you're unsure, know this. Your sin and guilt are far worse than you now know. But the love of God in Christ is far greater than you could ever imagine. And he's not going to turn away anyone who comes to him in faith, calling on him in truth. He won't turn you away. And friends, that's good news for all of us. So let's give ourselves to the truth of God's word, using the ordinary means that he's given to us, right? He's given us the scriptures, faithful preaching and teaching of the word. He's given us the Lord's Supper and baptism. These are means that God uses to grow us and shape us and make us more like Christ, to grow up into him so that we can say the hard things that need to be said. So we can stand firm on God's word, even when the message is unpopular. You see, the truth frees us to share honestly even about our own sins and struggles. Because we wrestle with them before the face of God, who already knows all of our darkest secrets. These things aren't easy. But we can have confidence because our relationship with God is secure by his perfect faithfulness and not our own. Because we're going to continue to struggle with sin in this world. And we can face it. That reality of our guilt and shame, knowing that it's been nailed to the cross once and for all. Christ has died for us, and no matter how other people respond to our faith, we will never be cast out by our Lord. Jesus himself has forged a relationship of love with us through his own enormous personal sacrifice because he delights in us. So now we can forge redemptive relationships with others, even though it will cost us. But we do it with the help of the Holy Spirit and with a reward that will last into all eternity. And so that brings us now to our final theme, ministry. Really, the first two were serving as the foundation for, for this. Because our journey to know Christ isn't done in isolation. The Christian life is not a solo endeavor. It's far richer and more multifaceted than that. 
See, what's assumed in Ephesians 4 is what Paul made clear earlier in Ephesians 2, where he talks about that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you're made fellow citizens and members of God's household with every other Christian. So you are brought into a family called the church, whom God purchased with his own blood. And like our passage says, the the risen and ascended Christ, who first descended to the earth for us and for our salvation, has given gifts to his church. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. You see, your church leaders are God's gift to you, the body of Christ. Now, I'm not just patting myself on the back here, right? Because take a look at what these gifts are intended for. Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service or for the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, the leaders that God gives to his church are actually servants. They're meant to equip you, the body, for the work of ministry. But what does that mean? Let's go back to the sandlot. Benny was the captain of the neighborhood team, and so as captain, of course, he had the responsibility to make sure new members would find their place on the field, even if they were weak, unskilled baseball rejects like Scotty Smalls. But Benny didn't give up. He even risked his own reputation to show Smalls the ropes. He was not only equipping Smalls, but also the rest of the team. Because they were down a player and they needed someone to fill the gap. Benny taught them how to embrace an outsider so they could function better as a baseball team. Now, I don't want to stretch this illustration too far, but I do think that in Benny, that character, we see a little glimpse of Christ. Christ who welcomes the outcast, who secures our place in his church and equips us for service. And friends, once we're on the team, we do the same things. We are called to welcome the outcast, to come alongside them, Show them the ropes, and then empower them to do likewise. Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives this instruction to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says this, What you have heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? It's that that I've given something to you that you can also invest in others who then can even invest in others. This idea that we all are called to equip one another. Because our call to make disciples, it's a call to really just help others follow Jesus better. Think about your own life. We've all had at least one person who has really made an impact in our lives for Christ. And now we get the opportunity to be that person for someone else. And the crazy thing is that when we give ourselves to this task, Who knows what kind of impact it's going to have on someone's life, right? The the impact that will reverberate through this person's life and possibly into eternity. So may we seek God's grace to help us invest in people, even as Jesus has so graciously and lovingly invested in us. 
stooping to the lower regions of the earth to lift us to himself, equipping us with all that we need for our mission. So I want to ask you, how is God calling you to equip others, to pursue others? If you're married, invest in your spouse. If you're a parent, you have built-in disciples, your children. If you work, consider your coworkers, or a neighbor, a friend, a family member. If you're a member of this church, look around you. Who is God calling you to invest in? Maybe you don't know yet, and that's okay. How are you seeking to be equipped so that you might learn, though? And maybe you're a member here at JBC and you're already equipped in many ways. Who are you investing in? And if you don't have someone, what obstacles are you facing? The risen Christ gave us his great commission to make disciples of every nation. And since discipling is really just helping people follow Jesus, the church's prime directive is all about relationships. And at the same time, that's the difficulty. We struggle with this, don't we? Why? Why is it so hard for us? Well, let me share just a few thoughts. First, relationships are difficult. They take a lot more than we we may feel inadequate to represent Christ to someone. I don't know what to say or how to say it. And, you know, maybe I say the wrong thing and it just drives a wedge between us. Relationships are difficult. Second, relationships are messy. Every person you rub shoulders with is a sinner, including yourself. We have baggage feel like I can't even deal with my own baggage, let alone trying to help someone else with theirs. We can easily hurt one another and let one another down. Relationships are messy. And third, relationships take time. A lot of time. And sometimes, honestly, I just want me time. <laughs> my life is already full with all kinds of things, and I... I don't think I have what it takes right now to serve someone else. If you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I'm right there with you. And even though we all struggle, we, we can move toward other people because we don't do it alone. We're in this together. And even more, the Lord has bound himself to us so that we might know the joy of truly loving and serving another person. He fills us with his love and truth so that we might over, let it overflow into the lives of those around us. So who is the smalls in your life that God is calling you to befriend, maybe in a way that they will never forget? So to conclude, God's church is built on relationships. And relationships are hard, but they're worth it. And remember, 
It's our relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that is ultimately the foundation of all of our relationships because He faced the greatest challenge head on, our sin, that we can move forward with confident faith into the lives of others for the sake of the gospel. So the Lord goes with us, friends, and He is at work in our hearts just as much as He's at the work in the hearts of others, those we disciple. So Jordan Valley Church, let's speak the truth in love to one another until we are all built up in that unity of the faith and maturity in Christ and we're equipped to invest in something that will truly last forever. Each other. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you that you have invested in us. You've given us your own son that even though we fail to embrace one another as we should, even though we sin against one another and against you, Lord, you forgive and you cleanse and you wash and you empower us to live in faith. And Lord, teach us, help us, we pray, to come alongside one another. Help us to be amazed at what you've called us to in making disciples. And help us, Lord, even just take small steps of faithfulness toward you, knowing that you go before us and you go with us through it all. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.